you're listening to the Fearless Business Podcast. You're in the best place to learn about how to grow a business, get more clients, and make more money without fears and limitations, all while having fun in the process. Robin Waite is the founder of Fearless Business, a business accelerator helping coaches, consultants, and freelancers double their income and more. Now here's your host, Robin Waite. So welcome back, everybody. It's the next episode of the Fearless Business Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Waite, the Fearless Business Coach. I have got a very esteemed guest with me today. Uh, he is an author. Uh, he's worked with multiple eight-figure businesses uh, and been through um, his own exits out of those businesses. Uh, masses of success. It's a real pleasure to invite Johnny Cooper onto the podcast today. Hey, hey, hey. I am so excited to be here. <laughs> Thank you so much for inviting me. Before we get into it, let's do the shameless plugs now, Johnny. Lift up your book. Let everybody know what your book is. Oh, yeah, you bet. There we go. Johnny hates marketing. And uh, we're obviously going to be tapping into your um, amazing marketing brain today. You've got a great community, so we'll be learning all about that. Um, it's always a pleasure Sorry. to have a fellow author on the show as well. Um, but I'm, gonna, I'm not going to start with the, oh, so Johnny, tell me about yourself type question. Um, I'm actually going to just dive straight in because um, one of the things which I know that you love to talk about is um, picking up on some of the fatal mistakes that most uh, coaches and consultants and the like make when they're first starting out. So can we just dive straight into that if that's okay? Yeah, mistakes that people make when they're starting out. Um, Well, I guess this applies to businesses in general, Robin, but um, specifically to my community, you know, coaches and therapists. and this is what I call the vagueness virus. And uh, believe me, I'm not riding on the zeitgeist of the current current crisis. I, I, I've been talking about the vagueness virus as a thing for about three years now. Um, and, and, and this is really where uh, there's a complete lack of clarity in most practitioners, I find, most experts, whether they're you know, speakers, coaches, therapists, even consultants, a lack of clarity about what they actually do and, and who it's for. And the wider you go on that, as, as, as you know, Robin, the, the less chance you've got of succeeding, you know, with, with, the, with what's commonly called the niche, although it's really the, the client niche. Uh, if you try and appeal to everyone, you'll, you'll appeal to no one, you know. Um, the, the best results are when you're speaking to one person, aren't they, face-to-face, eye-to-eye, if you like. Um, the other kind of niche is what I call the outcome niche, which is what you actually do, you know, what's the big transformational benefit you bring to the world. And so many practitioners are completely vague on this, you know, to the extent that it means nothing. You know, they show up in the world and say, the hypnotherapist, for example. Well, whoopee, you know. <laughs> Nobody wakes, wakes up in the morning going, I need a hypnotherapist today, you know. Um, well, I, 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 it's really interesting, actually, because I 100% agree with this. One of my biggest bugbears is people when you say, so who's your target audience? And they go, SMEs. And I go, did you well, know how many businesses there are? Uh, that are yeah. you know, I, I class a small business, small, medium business as maybe sub a million, right? So five, yeah, five right. people, 10 people in the business. And I say, do you know how many businesses are doing more than a million pounds a year in the UK out of the six million businesses? And it's a really no, low number, 40,000. So I was like, SME yeah. is not a target audience. That's no. all of the businesses. Like yes. that, you need to narrow yeah, it right exactly, down. Yeah, exactly, so, yeah. So what can, a, what can a business owner do? What can a coach and therapist do to start to kind of um, narrow down who it is that they're targeting? Well, the, the starting point is working out what they actually do because uh, before you can 
select people for whom your glorious talents will be will be appropriate. You've got to decide what you what your glorious talents are, basically. Um, and yeah, you know, what, what I mean by this is, you know, looking around the the, the coaching and therapy community, which is where, where I hang out, as you know, it's my playground. People are saying just off the wall stuff that they just made up, you know, like I help people find their symphony. That's a real, that's a real thing. Somebody said that in the group when I said, what, what does he do for a living? They went, I help people find the symphony. I mean, can you just imagine a scenario of somebody who completely gelled with that? They'd have to be actually waking up in the morning going, shit, where's my symphony? I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure it was here last night. I left it. <laughs> I left it on the nightstand, it's disappeared. Unless they're yeah. a music, an orchestra conductor or something yeah. like that. Where's my, sim- where's my symphony gone? Where's my symphony um, gone? I mean, that's an extreme example, but then you get people saying things that they think might be quite resonant, you know, like, I help people get unstuck. Yeah. I mean, that's just so vague and woolly. You know, what do you mean unstuck? Unstuck from what, you know? What do you think it is that kind of um, creates the the vagueness though do you think it's the fact that they're afraid of something i normally find that it's the their fear of um missing out as in or, yes. or fear of being rejection by somebody who's not in your audience oh, v- oh very much so there's this thing about well you know if i do that johnny if i niche like like you're suggesting what about all the other people that i'm missing out on you know what about the other people i can't help well the answer to that is twofold firstly you won't be helping anybody if you're vague because nobody will resonate with it nobody will be drawn towards you um but then when you drill down and you say look you know and one, of, one of my favorites robin you'll love this it's a lady in the states and she's the number one performance anxiety coach for female show jumpers i mean what a wonderful niche that is right there's not many it's, of those about there ain't many of those around. she's dominated the niche within six months of, of of launching it um it's a it's a clientele who are always able to pay you know, you don't spend your last $100,000 on a horse, do you? You know, you, you've got some dough to spend on, on learning how to how to win and, and ride it. So it's a wonderful niche. And they're visible too, you know, they can be found. You can find show jumpers, of course. Um, so that, that that's that's an example of, of, of how you niche. But I know particularly that this, this lady, she doesn't just work with female show jumpers. And this is the whole thing about client avatar niching, isn't it? You know, you're still open to working with other people if you want, if they come to you and they say, look, I'm not a female show jumper, for example, but, um, you know, can you help me anyway? I'm suffering with this. So you've, got, you've always got that choice. You're never closing the door to the whole world. What you're simply doing is putting a sign on your shop, aren't you, to say, this is what I do, you know, come in and talk to me if if you're one of these people and and you want this, you know. Well, even the, even this, alongside show jumping, you've got dressage, you've got three-day eventing, you've got, you know, Jim Carnes even, you know, or things like that. Exactly. So, exactly. so th- th- there's really... And, 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 and other sports people when they yeah. read performance anxiety. It's like, I'm not a show jumper, but I'm a hurdler. You know, I do my own jumps. <laughs> <laughs> can, can you help me? You, know? you can imagine how, how, how it goes, you know. And, and and that's what happens when you're, when you're successfully niching down. Uh, full disclosure, I have two one-to-one clients at the moment. The reason I'm one-to-one with them uh, is that they don't fit into my program. They don't fit into my signature program, the Client Attraction Blueprint for Coaches and Therapists. Um, one of them is a Facebook ad specialist for the clinical trial industry. I imagine he's suffering at the moment because clinical trials are, are down with all the, all the messes going on. Um, but I'm one-to-one with him. Um, there's another lady who is nothing to do with coaching or therapy. She's actually a, a performance artist. Um, 
and I'm helping her one to one because I, I I saw something that I could I could help her with, and and agree to an engagement, you know. And this is what you'll get, you know. People come knocking you do and not your ideal client, but how you show up in the world, you know, saying I do this for these people, and importantly then to say so they can, you know, talk about the outcome they get when they work with you. If you do that, you'll be you'll be flooded with those kind of people all the time, provided you've got some kind of an audience that, you, that you're talking to initially. But yeah, it, ma- um, it makes night and day difference, you know. Do you think that uh, sort of vagueness about, I don't know who I can help at the start, um, is also, it creates a knock-on impact in their business further down the line. So if you can't tell somebody, mm. you can't work out who, who you help, you can, it's harder to tell somebody how you can help them, what sort yeah. of results and outcomes you get. And therefore, actually, it has a direct correlation with how much money they're earning. So do you think sort of people who are vague have a lower earning potential? Yeah, totally. And I'll, I'll tell you exactly why, because generalists get paid less than specialists. When you're seen as a specialist in a particular field, people are drawn to you and they want that thing and they're prepared to pay more for it. Um, if you are, for example, I mean, let, let's just say, you know, that you, you set yourself up as um, somebody who, uh, social media management, you know, somebody else with social media. For a start, if you're going to get all, all the different types of companies going, can you manage my social media? Um, and secondly, then you, you're going to get people saying, can you do my LinkedIn? Can you do my Instagram? Can you do my Facebook? Can you do my TikTok? Now, nobody's an expert in all those platforms. It's an, it's an impossibility. No one person can learn all the ins and outs of all the algorithms and all the, the, the best practice on all those different platforms. So what you're going to do is you're going to do a, a less than perfect job and people are going to pay you with a less than perfect fee for doing a less than perfect job. When you become known as a generalist, people are going to say, oh, yeah, Johnny's not that good, but he's cheap, you know. Um, and you get this this horrible bruising from 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 the 80-20 thing then. The 80-20 thing in this case would say that, you know, 80% of your clients are responsible for, for 20% of your revenue. Um, 20% of your clients are responsible for 80% of the hassle. The ones who pay the least will expect the most. And I'm speaking from experience here, Robin. I did this for 15 years. I was a general business coach after my my big hurrah when I when I sold my eight-figure business in 2003. It was kind of all downhill from there because I just fell into business coaching with no plans, no idea of what I was going to do. Um, I was an accidental coach, effectively. Um, people were just asking me to help them with their businesses because they'd seen what we'd done with the big firm that we sold. So I was getting drawn into growth strategies, marketing, sales, funding, HR. <laughs> people were asking me to recruit for them. And then, then as the, as the millennium unfolded, you know, social media strategies. So people thought, oh, Johnny's probably quite good on Facebook. You know, let, let's get him to do that. Um, but you get underpaid and overworked when you set your stall out in a general way. Think, think about buying something from the Apple store versus going to your local jumble sale and buying some, trying to find a computer at your jumble sale, right? You might find one where it'll be 50 quid and it'll be knackered when it won't work. Um, and, and, and this is the difference between specialising and putting a shiny shop front on like they do so well in the Apple store versus just saying, come on down, whatever you want, I can do it. <laughs> I do feel a little bit like, um, you know, we used to have jumble sales at my primary school and actually walking yeah. into the Apple shop is like a really grandiose version of that. It's just that every product is Apple and it's really yes. nicely laid out. 
and, yes. and it gives you that really good, the same fuzzy feeling that you got when you walked into a jumbo sale at school. I actually still get quite excited when I walk into an Apple shop now for yeah. that, you know, for that reason. Yeah, I, I kind of do. Like, I'm not knocking jumbo sales. If, if you want, if you want an off chance that you're going to find something interesting uh, and pay next to nothing for it, then go to a jumbo sale. But you know, isn't that a good allegory for a, for a, for a chaotic business as well? You know, people might be drawn to you because they might like you. When they, when they see what you're offering, they're going to underpay you for it. They're going to undervalue it, and they're going to want more bang for their buck. Um, the, the 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 people who are, who are doing this badly and kind of missing the point seem to be involved in a lot more done-for-you services than actually coaching services. Um, if they see you as a kind of generalist, like let's land on that social media thing, you know. You, you say, you know, I know a bit about social media, so I can help people with their social media. Such a wide kind of that, isn't it? Then you'll get people coming to you saying, oh, can you can you manage my LinkedIn? You know, can you post for me like three times a week? And can you, can you add 100 new members every day and all this kind of stuff? And that stuff is so time consuming. There's no time leverage in it for the practitioner. And it and it's undervalued. That that scenario I've just described is worth what? 200 quid a month, something like that. It uh, doesn't leave a legacy either. And I think that's one of the key things. Yeah. You know, it's why it's why we have things like books, you produce things like YouTube channels, you know, you you build marketing assets because they leave a legacy there and it and it kind of it gets your leads whilst you sleep. Yeah, you know, the amount that. of times I get people who will, you know, drop me an email. I wake up in the morning, oh, I read your book, Robin. It's absolutely amazing. Could we have a chat? I'm like, yeah, yeah. absolutely, 100%. Yeah, I got that too. Um, in fact, quite quite a few times now on the group joining questions where we say, where did you hear about us? Uh, I'm seeing I read your book a lot more. Uh, I'm going to go it, back to just a couple of things which you said earlier on. So one which I can I, I can back up. Uh, you mentioned about kind of the eighty the Pareto principle around kind of um, pain in the ass factor clients versus you know the, the fees which you get in. And um, <clears throat> we had a very clear example of this. So um, when the first recession, first recession, when the, the recession hit in 2007, 2008, and I, I was in a similar line of work to you, I had my marketing agency, and um, we, we were selling website hosting for £10 a month. So super cheap, commoditized. And there was about 25 local design agencies all kind of doing similar things, you know, web design, branding and stuff like that. And um, they all started competing for price to get the business in before the world obviously exposed back, back then. And, and I just thought, I mean, I'm, I'm a bit of a rebel anyway. So I thought, well, we should go, if everybody's doing that, we should probably go the other way. And we, we ended up 5Xing our price. We put up to £50 a month, which I think is still pretty reasonable with a ton of extra support. And there was two really interesting things which happened. <clears throat> well, three, in fact. One was predictable. We lost some clients because they didn't get our value. So we lost 40% of our clients. Really cool thing was our revenue went up two and a half times, obviously, because we were charging a lot more money. But the really surprising thing was our support calls dropped by 80%. So those 40%, it wasn't quite a, quite Pareto, but the 40% who left were obviously the ones who were contributing the most, you know, to our pain in the ass chart um, and support. Um, so, so proof is in the pudding. We have the stats. And I've actually been through that process with a number of our clients as well. The second thing, which I think I want to, I, I mentioned this offline. I want to kind of um, pick your brains about. You talked about your, um, your journey where you sold the business back in, I think you said 2003. Talk to me about what kind of, led up to that don't don't have to go all the way back but talk to me about the story which led up to that sale and then what happened afterwards because there's a, a really great story here and a lot of lot that i think business owners can learn from yeah well you know what um 
it, it, those are the, the, the best of times and the, and the worst of times, as they say. Um, I, I built a business from 95 through to 2003. We had an eight-year eight run, um, building it and enjoying it and, and taking the spoils, if you like. Just me and another lad and, and um, financial consultancy, you know, advising on pensions, investments, that kind of thing. And but when we sold in 2003, uh, we, we'd, we'd kind of hit a peak. I, I, I'm not so sure we would have grown anymore by ourselves, you know, without a larger partner or, or a purchaser. So we took this decision. We, we had 200 staff. We had eight offices around the UK, 10 million turnover in 2003. And we made a million pound profit. And uh, any of you guys who, who, who know anything about business valuation, once you get into kind of seven-figure profit, it kind of catapults you into another multiple of, of valuation, you know, multiple of earnings, if you like. So we, we had an approach from our PLC, which was flattering. In our kind of naivety, we did minimum minimum of due diligence, shall we say, uh, and took their offer. So they took the shares offers, gave us some money up front, and we had a very lengthy um sale and purchase agreement which contained earnouts and that means you know we, we wouldn't get paid all the money straight away we we were managing the business under their umbrella and it would be a couple of years before we got paid so we didn't see any warning signs in that we thought cool you know we can still hang around and still earn some money um but they went bust within 14 months they took our business with them um, and we basically didn't get paid. We got some money up front, which um, paid off some debts. We had a very lavish lifestyle. Probably. I mean, we were the kiddies. You, know? we, <laughs> you, you can imagine with that kind of turnover and just the two as shareholders, we were drawing, you know, full disclosure, 25 grand a month out of the business each. So I had a Ferrari, the wife had a Maserati. We had a, a mansion on a private estate. Oh, Jesus. You know, all, all in debt, of course. You know, nothing paid for in cash, <laughs> just cash flow. So when the rug pulled, you know, a lot of those debts were still still, still standing, you know, and still, still had to be met. Uh, and I, I struggled on, you know, refinancing and just messing around a bit. And by 2007, I just went to hell with this. So um, I had a big demand from HMRC. I mean, this was like a £800,000 tax bill. Wow. Uh, historic debts when we had the business plus penalties you know how it builds up well you probably don't but it does <laughs> uh, so by 2007 I just pulled the plug I said you know this is it to hell with it and uh, I went personally bankrupt M- my own bankruptcy you know I, I engineered it and made it as, as smooth a glide path back down to earth as I, as I could but you know uh, it was a bankruptcy very, very real you know and waking up one morning I think it was April 2007 um I didn't have a car anymore at all. <laughs> no car. Um, I kept the roof over my head because just pure luck. You know, you, you refer to this first recession. It was kind of that time property prices were, were crashing. And um, there's a thing called the official receiver. This is the guy on behalf of the government who manages personal bankruptcies. And he was looking at my assets and there was no asset in the property because I'd recently purchased it. And it's this apartment here, actually, where I am today. Uh, and there was no equity in it because the price had come down. So he let me keep it as long as I paid the mortgage, you know. And that was kind of it. I was looking around going, okay. I mean, stuff was being sold, you know, stuff around me. And it was, it was quite an awakening, you know. Um, so what's I, I, that? Because I don't think we're really getting a feeling for... I mean, you're a pretty happy-go-lucky, like, positive guy from what yeah. I've seen. You, you know, you're incredibly influential. You get everybody motivated. Was there a point 
sort of, you know, that April morning in 2007 where you just thought, oh, shit, what have I done? Um, yeah, although, although there'd been a lead up to it, you see, because when, when, um, when you have debts looming, they don't just appear one day. You've known about them for a while, you know. And it was clear that HMRC was prodding me. Either they were going to make me bankrupt, which, um, <laughs> you know, pro tip here. <laughs> you guys thinking about going bankrupt, do it yourself. Don't wait till somebody pushes you because uh, you're in control of the process, you know, if you do it yourself. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess I'd had a few months prior to that, Robin, to, to, to get my head around it. I definitely didn't want to do it. And, and there's, a, there's a process of denial, you know, like any big shock. You go, no, this isn't happening to me. Um, but when I realized it was, I just thought, okay, well, you know, I'm still going to be living and breathing. I was really lucky that I had a really supportive relationship at the time. My, my girlfriend, what, what wonderful girl. I'm, I'm, I'm no longer with her for various reasons, but, you know, she was totally supportive. She's going, whatever, you know, it's only money. It doesn't matter, you know. And and, and that that coming from, or, or that being received by me, who was previously all about money, you know, like what new Ferrari can I afford this year kind of thing. You know, hearing that day by day from somebody who was saying, don't worry, Johnny, you know, it's only money. I, I guess it changed me, you know. And, you know, the, this sanguine, chilled out, relaxed persona that you see now, it is actually me, you know. This is how I am these days. Yeah. I, I was a lot more wound up in those days. I was not a nice person in so many ways. You know, when you when you have a, 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 a payroll of 200 people, there's, there's a bit of hiring and firing going on on a regular basis, so you've got to be pretty hard-nosed and blunt about that. Um. And, you know, just running a business of, of that scale without being taken for a ride by employees, uh, suppliers, you know, people who would who would wish you less than well. you got to be pretty tough. So was, um, I, I'm guessing then it feels like there was kind of balanced off by a bit of relief as well to have kind of yeah. gone through it and just... Oh, well, I, I don't ever want to do that again, you see. Yeah. People talk to me about my business aspirations now. And, and as you know, Robin, you know, we can thrive in this new world, this new economy, this digital economy, and specifically the information economy, which, which we're playing in. We can thrive in that without 200 people working for us, you know. I don't know about you, I have a freelance team of, of five people who are all amazing, all totally connected with the business and with, with sharing goals with me, you know. Um, but that's going to take us to seven figures, you know, without dozens of people so it's a new world and i think it requires us to be different people and part of what i coach people on is look you know you got to become the person that, that that you want to be you know become the business owner that, that you want the business to be in the future and it's not the old johnny you know it's not the 2003 johnny it's so uh, it's a whole new version and I, I also know now having been through bankruptcy that you know if that would happen again i'd still survive yeah, and I think that's the main thing, isn't it? I think um, yeah. I, I always um, brandish the Seneca phrase. You know, things are always w much worse in imagination than in reality. Yeah, you know, yeah. people people build it up in in business, like you know, especially things like putting your prices up, or you mm. know, even something simple like niching down and cutting out a big chunk of people. Like they build it up in their head that it's this big thing that's going to destroy their business and their yeah. world. Yeah. Whereas actually, ultimately, twelve months later, you look back on it and go, "Well, it was the best decision that we ever made." I'm, I, I've, yeah. I'm curious. Like, how did you start to kind I, of rebuild? I, I call it, sorry, just just pick up on that. I, yeah. I call it the imaginary doomsday scenario. 
because that's all it is. It's just an imagination of you. It's an, it's an imagined future that, that's never going to be accurate. Even if you're bullish about your future, you know, and you imagine some, you know, incredible future where you're sitting on a beach in Hawaii sipping a bocchito or something. Actually, it'd probably be pina colada in Hawaii, wouldn't it? Um, th that's probably never going to happen either. You know, we're, we're actually terrible at guessing our futures, aren't we? Well, we, 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 you can set kind of brave goals for yourself, but you still yeah. imagine that journey getting there is going to be a bit chaotic. It's never just, you know, that linear journey. Yeah, how, did, how did you rebuild then sort of um, after that? How did things start to kind of get back to normality? Well, but by then I, I already had a, a rag bag of clients, you know, I was already this kind of, you know, jumble style organizer <laughs> with, with all these clients paying, paying me too little for too much. And, and I persisted with that for pretty much another decade. You know, it took me through till 2015 before I went, oh shit, you know, look, looking at the, the numbers at the end of the month, you know, I've got 20 clients paying me, um, underpaying me generally, um, you know, one or two significant ones that I enjoyed working with. The rest of them I pretty much hated. Um, I thought this is a horrible life and hang on, I've created this for myself. You know, this is my own jungle of, of despair that I've, <laughs> that I've built. Um, so I started firing clients. I don't know why I had it. I, I, I tell you what, what did it actually? I went on one of Frank Kern's webinars. Yeah. Okay. Frank Kern, for those of you who don't know, is one of these global wise guys who is really fantastic at what he does. You know, he's built an, an eight figure business from you know ju just being a cool guy and, and and saying stuff that people resonate with you know that kind of thing in the information age and i thought oh, i could do that i know some stuff <laughs> i know some stuff too i could do that um i signed up with a guy called Stu mclaren yep who's a recurring revenue guru really smart guy and a really nice guy as well comes over really good from canada um he actually follows me on instagram now i'm quite flattered um, so I, I started um, firing clients and investing money in in these gurus, you know, in these v quite visible global icons, if you like. And I, I, I sucked it all up. I went, yeah, this makes sense. I can do this. So I, I had a pretty feeble attempt at a launch in 2017. I, I, I launched a business that I called The Success Party. TheSuccessParty.com. Do you know how happy I was when I found that domain was available? I thought, I don't know if you've ever done this. Come up with a cranky idea and you, you go and go, go, daddy. And it's there. You go, huh, nobody's thought of it. I'm going to do this. TheSuccessParty.com. Um, and I thought I'll get coaches and trainers and therapists and consultants. Uh, and I'll do this recurring revenue thing, you know, because I just learned it off Stu McLaren. You know, doing all the disingenuous, really, really shitty stuff. And, and with a lousy brand as well, because nobody else thought the success part was a good idea. And I was on a podcast then. Um, I think it's kind of March 2017. I've been struggling away for a couple of months with really next to no traction. You know, like eight people in the group, you know, like you do. Uh, <laughs> and this podcast said to me, uh, so what, what's the worst marketing idea you, you've, you've ever seen? And we were chatting about this. Anyway, he just said, I don't think you really like marketing, do you? And I said, no, not really. And he went, spoiler alert, Johnny hates marketing. I went, wow. You know these kind of movie things where the sun rises and you get this, this pad sound? It goes, wow, and the sun comes up. I heard that. I thought, well, that's great, guys. Anyway, within six weeks, I rebranded the whole shebang to Johnny Ace Marketing. Uh, JohnnyAceMarketing.com wasn't taken, obviously. <laughs> As you can imagine, there was a Sheila Hates Marketing.com. No, there wasn't. No, I'm um, and, and I rebranded the group and 
within a year I'd written a book as well called John Hayes Marketing. And you know, what, I think what's cool about that brand is that you guys, you know, coaches and therapists, you, you kind of hate, hate marketing too. And even if you think you like it, you know, you probably don't get it. You're not, you're not brilliant at it. And whereas, you know, you've got skills, incredible skills to put out into the world. Nobody knows about it. You know, and it's, it's not, it's not enough, Robin, is it, just to be the best at what you do. You have to be the best marketed as well. Otherwise, you know, you're under a rock and nobody ever gets it. I always talk about it being, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of product launches when they're done you know, done done well and with the right yeah. branding and things like that. Um, I, I was uh, I was working with a I was potentially working with a consultant, and he he'd been developing this piece of software, a really smart piece of software, for about two and a half years. And um, I said, one of the questions got eventually got around to it. I said, when are you going to launch this thing? When and his answer was, when it's ready. Yeah. So I was yeah, like, it's right, never ready. You, you've been doing this thing for two and a half years. Yeah, you know, building it, and it, it looked good. And he's like, yeah, but it's missing this feature and this feature and this feature. I, just, I said, this is bullshit. I said, you're wasting my fucking time, but you know, and your time. What, like, talk to me about what's going on. And it was really interesting when we dug into the motivators behind it or demotivators behind it, because essentially, I mean, it's a very sad story. The guy had lost his, both his parents in, in, within very quick succession and inherited a load of money, and so he had no financial push to make him launch this thing. So he didn't need customers, but there was also, this was backed up by this enormous kind of fear of failure. And he'd always, his dad had always kind of supported him with everything he was doing and now he's not around. So um, it was quite interesting when we kind of got into it and he started to understand that, you know, none of this defined him really, but actually if he was going to invest all this time into it to stop wasting everybody else's time, because he was going and having meetings and talking to investors and all this great stuff. But it was just like, I just said, all you need is like one customer to validate that this idea is actually worth something. So why don't you just launch it now in, it, in its current format and get, and sure enough, yeah, he go, he, off he goes, he launches it and people love it. There's a few features that didn't work and things like that. And he's like, I can't believe it took so long. And I think a lot of, um, there's, there's a massive sort of fear of failure built up in, in not taking something to the audience. You're right, absolutely right about, well, this is the, the waffly bit coming to an end now, but the marketing side of things where, you know, people have this great product, but no audience to launch it into. It's like speaking into an oh, empty room, utterly God. pointless. Yeah. Well, I'm doing a session this afternoon for the group, and we're going to touch on those things. Because it seems to me a lot of great people in my community are just shouting at the traffic. Um, you know, imagine your car's, car's broken down or something. Actually, you know, there's, there's a better metaphor, and it. It, it's, it's, it's a real one, this. Um, there's a, a street corner in, in L.A. I go out there. Frequently, I had not used to, <laughs> to see my brother. And just at the end of his road, there's, th there's this guy, he's been there for years, apparently, with a placard. He stands by the traffic signal, shouting. And, and, and nobody knows what he's on about because you can't hear him because you're going past like this or, or you've got your window wound up with the air con on, you know? Um, and, and a lot of the experts in, in, in the coaching community seem to be like that. They've got something interesting to say, but nobody's listening. So I, I do this ABC thing, audience before content. Yeah, at least corral some people together who look like your ideal clients and start talking to them. It just doesn't have to be a big room, does it? I mean, you know, we've all done yeah, talks Facebook, in rooms. Facebook group to, with 100, 200 people in it. That's all yeah, you need. Yeah, perfect. We've all done talks in, in actual rooms, you know, where five people have shown up and we've sat around a table and talked to them. I think I won a few years back. I did that. But you get five clients from it. You, know? so you, don't, need, you don't need a lot of people, do you? I just wanted to pick, pick on what you said about the launch strategy, if, if you like. Please you probably, do, yeah. You probably heard this. It's a, a quote attributed to um, 
uh, a German general called Rommel in the Second World War. It's probably not him that said it, but, you know, it's an urban myth, if you like. But it's, it's quite a good quote. He said that um, an average strategy deployed today with aggression and force uh, is always better than a perfect strategy executed tomorrow. I think that's what you're saying, isn't it? It doesn't 100%. have to be right. It doesn't yeah. have to be right because it's never right. Well, you get um, the data and feedback sooner so you yeah. can then improve it tomorrow. And, yeah. and, and, and Seth Godin says this. He says it's never ready. Don't wait till it's ready because it's never ready. Of course it isn't. You know. Well, it's, there, I, I can't, again, it's another one of those experts imperf- talks about imperfect action. You know, just, just get out there and do something and then you can start to get that feedback. And I think that's one of the key differentiators. Now, the trouble is like marketing is so confusing these days. You know, back, back when I built my first website in 2004 commercially, you know, in that agency, um, websites had still been around for quite, you know, 12, 14 years or whatever. So they've been around for a while, but even still in 2004, it's like really unique to have a website let alone a good looking one that as rare as rocking horse poo and to get it onto, you know, founding Google, if you were doing that, you were winning at business. Uh, Zuckerberg was still in his pants in his dorm room building the first version of Facebook, you know, that hadn't been released to Harvard yet. Things like Instagram didn't exist. YouTube was in its infancy, but you know, video was shit because streaming was, there was just no bandwidth then, you know, the internet was rubbish, you know, and all these things. And nowadays you've got all of these multitude of different platforms. And I think it's a very confusing landscape. And what I find even more confusing though, is the experts going around banding that their thing is the best thing, yeah. like since sliced bread. The one big thing. Yeah. So if you, go and, if you go and speak to an encyclopedia salesman, Johnny, what's he going to say is you need to buy? Yeah. Encyclopedias. I, I, I haven't seen more for years, but I'm, I'm sure you're right. Do they still exist, those guys? Well, they, yeah, <laughs> they, they do, but it's also, also called Wikipedia now, I think. But, yeah, um, that's right, yeah. but the thing is, if you yeah. go and speak to a LinkedIn expert, they'll tell you you need LinkedIn. If you go and yeah, speak course, to an Instagram yeah. expert, they'll tell you you need Instagram. You go and yeah. speak to any number of different coaches, and they'll all say, well, I'm the best coach. So yeah. I think it's a really confusing landscape. And oh, It really is. I'm going I'm to tie this up with something which you kind of said right you know, close to the start of the interview where you're talking about this um, transition from uh, just being an expert and turning into an authority. And I think that's the mm-hmm. biggest difference. If you understand that principle, that will solve a lot of the marketing conundrums out there. Yeah, I, I really think it will. I've, I've actually got um, a, a concept which I, I think um, can help to overcome overwhelm about marketing because if you think of it as marketing, um, then yeah all the subdomains you know under the marketing headline it'll it'll just blow your mind if you think well i've got to start marketing and that's the vagueness virus at work there in itself isn't it thinking that you know you've got to do all the all the things <laughs> whereas if you just say this look and, and you can do this without any platforms at all right as long as you've got a facebook account i guess um if you go through your facebook friends Right? As a newly formed practitioner, you've decided that this is what you do. This is your one big thing you bring to the world. Go look at your Facebook friends network. Spot someone in there you think you can help and start a conversation with them. Send them a direct message saying, hey, I'm just about to launch this new program. Uh, it's called this. I think it might be interesting for you, but I'd love to get your feedback. Let's have a chat. You know, let's jump on a quick call, see if I can share some insights, see, see if I can help, you know, see if it's interesting to you. Um, you. You can frame that as a, you know, a very, very focused, probably two or three sentence DM. If you send that to 10 people today, five people will, will book a call with you. And you've got opportunities then, haven't you, to make a sale, make a sale five times over. 
that is marketing at its purest, isn't it? It's most distilled form. So forget all the, all the platforms. Forget all the content creation, all the posting. Just start a conversation with someone who looks like your next ideal client. Do you know what stops uh, people from doing that? Fear of rejection. Yes, yeah, fear of rejection. Yeah. I, had, I had somebody. So I, 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 I'm a massive fan of doing that. I encourage all of my mm. clients. I encourage everybody I come across. You can do that I, anytime. I live, can't in, you? I live and die. I don't know if you can see these three numbers here, but I live and die by these yeah. three numbers: seventy, ten, two. Right. So it comes from the old days of like call centers. You know, seventy calls, ten appointments, two, two sales. Right. Yes. But actually, Google did their homework on this and they wrote the white paper: zero moments of truth. And, and they worked out those numbers are still appropriate for internet marketing businesses. So 70 conversations, 10 consultations and two conversions. Exactly the same love thing. It. It's very slightly for, depending on businesses. Yeah, love it. And when I was teaching this to, um, to somebody recently, they um, had a, a LinkedIn post that trended, right? So a video which they put out, they'd had, you know, tens of thousands of views on this video, um, hundreds of likes, dozens of comments. And I said, how many of those people did you message? Yeah. Oh, none. I was waiting for them to come to me. Waiting for I them said, to come to me, yeah. I was yeah. like, no, no, no. There's no currency in likes, yeah. comments, and shares. Like, no. th- literally, that won't make you money. Oh, I couldn't possibly. It'd be too rude for me to message them directly. No. Yeah. Just reach well, out to them and say, Well, let's, what? let's be blunt about this. Can you imagine, uh, winding back 2007, I was in deep conversations with, I, I, had, a, I had a personal personal contact at HMRC. That's how much money I owed them, right? He, he was, I'd go and see this guy in his office. Imagine if I'd said to him, look, I ain't got any money, but I got 4,000 likes on my YouTube video. <laughs> what would he go? He'd go, what? What are you talking about? It isn't money. It's not currency. Exactly. exactly. 100%. 100%. And, and it's, you know, so I encourage people, I'm just like, go and message them. And like, if, if somebody, if you piss somebody off in doing that, they're not going to likely be the right client for you anyway, if they're that yeah, sort exactly. of about stuff. Exactly. So it's a good exactly. filtering process. I, I, I actually had a client who did this and they were just unlucky enough. The first two messages they send, um, the client gets up at it. Well, not the client, the person got up at it, the recipient got up at it and said, I hate being direct messages like this. How dare you? I'm going to block you. you know? I think the other one ignored them. And, and then from that massive amount of data, <laughs> they, then, they then assumed that this was going to happen to them for the rest of their life. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so they stopped doing it altogether. And, and as far as I'm aware, they're still broke, this person. So, yeah. Well, I'm, it, I'm, it, it works. You know, this stuff works massively you know i'm a a huge fan of doing stuff like that and um you know pushing 70 10 if you're not the one like you know making your i hate the term sales funnel work you know marketing funnel work Mm. and you're not tracking those numbers you're going to really struggle to actually you know another thing as well is um and and i think this this it lies in the same sort of boat you know i I talk a lot about sort of pricing when i tell somebody to increase their prices they go oh nobody nobody will ever pay that and i'm like well do you know that for sure have yeah. you have you gone out and asked ten or twenty people whether they'll pay that? And they go, well, no, of course not. I'm just okay. Well, you're assuming based on your own value systems, and I find yeah. marketing is the same thing. A lot of people tend to um, they tend to market how they would like to be marketed to, and that might not be the right way yes, for their industry. Exactly, exactly. The, the times without number, people have said to me, "Oh, I hate it when I get those kind of direct messages." Well. Yeah, but don't project your feelings onto your potential clients. How do you know what they think? It's not important what you think at all, is it? That's it, 100%. Really, really isn't. Yeah. Right, Johnny, we're, we're kind of coming towards the end of the interview, so I've got a couple of pertinent wow. questions. So uh, tell us about your Facebook group. 
it's called Johnny S Marketing, predictably. Um, <laughs> Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Johnny S Marketing. All you have to do, actually, in the Facebook search on a white box at the top, just type in Johnny X Marketing and, and you'll find it. And, and what can people find in there? Well, th- this is a, a, a thriving community of 4,300 um, coaches and therapists. If you're a coach or therapist, there are people just like you with challenges just like you, with success stories just like you, uh, with questions just like you've got. Um, and it's a, a, a wonderful place to hang out. I think it's probably one of the most engaged groups uh, of 4,000 members that I've seen anywhere. Um, you know, hundreds and hundreds of engagements every time we post something. So, and tons of great um, questions in there. It's like people who are just hungry for, but you know, I'm in the group, obviously. Yeah. So, you know, I can second exactly that. Um, you know, that's that's one of the reasons why I signed, signed up in the first place, because the quality of questions you get in there, as you know, produces a high quality of answers and exactly, business information yeah. on the back end. So I'd thoroughly encourage, we'll pop a link into the show notes afterwards, but I'd thoroughly Fantastic. encourage anybody um, who is listening to this or watching it to uh, go and check out Johnny Hates Marketing Facebook group. What are you working okay. on at the moment, Johnny? What's What's coming up for 2020 for you? Yeah, really interesting question. I'm um, migrating my inner circle, which is my, my VIP group, uh, from Facebook uh, onto an independent platform that we're building ourselves. Uh, it's a whole membership uh, area, basically, uh, with hundreds of hours of, of training videos and all the weekly secret session videos in there. Uh, they'll still be in the Facebook group, but it's just occurred to me that sticking stuff in units in the Facebook group uh, is like really putting them in a quiet little corner and putting a curtain in front of it and nobody ever finds them. Yeah. One, <laughs> uh, one day Facebook yeah. might get a bit more organized and realize the value which they're sat on when it comes to groups and do something like that. Yeah, but, uh, exactly. So that, that feels like quite a big project at the moment. Um, but having said that, it's uh, quite a tight timeline. Uh, we're going to do the relaunch of the Inner Circle um, community uh, in June. Awesome. So j- just around the corner. That's uh, £67 a month and uh, – just hundreds of pounds a month of, of value. So awesome. multiple, multiple ROIs if you remember in there. Send me some details, Johnny, because we'll include that in the show notes too. And hopefully I can help you with the launch when you get around to it and share that in the group because I'm sure there'll be a few Fantastic. people who will benefit from it. Um, yeah, love that. So n- now we're on to the slight curveball question. I think I did pop a Ooh. note in the, uh, the the email about this, but um, you can you can take your time over this one if you need to. So we're going to hop into the fearless business time machine. And you get to punch in the date that we're going to go back to. And you're going to go, you're going to choose a date, go back to it. And then you're going to have a conversation with yourself. So when is it? And what are you going to say to Johnny minus X number of years? Wow. What, a, what an interesting question. Um, there are a number of occasions where I've, uh, looking back, uh, I'd, I'd reason to regret decisions that were made. Um, I think the big one has to be this will surprise you it's not about the sale of the business that could have gone better it's it's a personal thing where my wife at the time my former wife ex-wife uh suffered with serious postnatal depression and i was not sympathetic in any way at all i was pull yourself together kind of guy. Um, and our marriage broke down because of that. Uh, and it, it cost me everything emotionally and financially. Uh, I'm, I'm back in the saddle now. I'm happily married. 
but I I often ponder how how life would would be now, how life would be different um, if I just spent a bit more time in our relationship and less on being an arrogant fuck, basically. Yeah, it's um I do you know what? I'm hugely respect you and appreciate you for for sharing that actually mm. and um there's a certain amount of that which I can also you know when I was when my first child came along I was so focused on the business yeah. and I took the barest two weeks you know out for paternity leave and you're yeah. your own bloody business owner like you can take as much time as you need like why do we put ourselves through all of this yeah. um and actually I I was I I was very grateful I was able to have a bit of a second opportunity it sounds like you found that with your with your current partner yeah very much um, so. you know i had the second opportunity and my second daughter came along to and actually that's the point when i sold my business uh albeit that when you know i have got my own story to tell probably for another day on that um but it meant that actually i took three months off not just to spend with my second daughter but all of the family and that was one of yeah. the best decisions i was ever able to make and i think that's one of the things is because you're aware of it you're always going to be able to take that forward into your future life there's no point in looking back um yeah. you know you that probably there is no money that you could pay to have a lesson handed to you like that exactly um, you know um so I, I really appreciate you sharing that johnny thank you yeah um, that, that, thanks for thanks for teasing it out I, I haven't spoken about that well ever basically <laughs> oh well, I'm, I'm hugely grateful so thank you um listen johnny it's been it's been a real pleasure um yeah, uh, we'll, we'll we'll share all of your your social media links and links to the facebook group um in the show notes but it's been honestly i'm so grateful for the time that you've given up today and and for coming on as a guest onto the fearless business podcast yeah my pleasure see you soon